Well, good morning. Grab your Bible and turn to the book of Joshua. It is the sixth book in the Bible, and that's where we're going to be this morning. Or if you are reading through the story, turn to chapter 7 of the story. I want to give you a couple dates that you need to be aware of. This will not be on the screen, but it's very important. The first is two weeks from tonight, Fan the Flame Part 5 featuring Remedy Drive at Little Galilee Christian Camp. All tickets are $5. This uh, concert is once again raising money for a wonderful parachurch organization that is trying to stop sex slavery throughout the world. And Remedy Drive, they're just a blast. We had them at the Cable Building a couple years ago, and it was a good time. And I hope you will come out, get your tickets at the door. You can get your tickets ahead of time in the office. That's two weeks from tonight, November 2nd. Which, by the way, anybody else know what else is happening on November 2nd? Time Change Sunday. So two weeks from today. Uh, you will have had an extra hour of sleep. Second day I want to talk about that's just as important if you are a man is the Little Galilee Men's Retreat. It's just a one-day gathering at Little Galilee. It's on Saturday, November 8, and I'm one of the people that have been asked to share during the day, and they're going to be doing some incredible things. We'll be eating together, studying God's Word together, shooting shotguns together, riding the zip line together. I mean, it's just a man's man kind of day. So come on out on Saturday, November 8, and if you need more information, uh, Kim Rutledge from Little Galilee is here, Kevin's around, or see me, we'll get you pointed in the right direction. Tonight, your opportunities to uh, have your students and your children uh, plugged in continue. We have youth groups for four-year-olds through fifth grade from 5.30 to 7. They are going through the story. They'll be studying chapter 7 of the story, just what we're looking at this morning. Reveal from 5.30 to 7 for junior high and senior high. We'll be studying the story. And then at 5.45, if you are not in a group that's studying the story, it's not too late to join our Sunday evening group. We meet in the Lord Led Ladies classroom right out on the hallway, the east hallway. We go for one hour, and it is a wonderful time, and we would love to have you be a part of our gathering. Now, I know we got some people that are with us today that have not been a part of the first six weeks of the story, so let me give you just a snapshot look at where we've been up to this point. Week one started with the beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and we saw how God's perfect utopia was destroyed by the sting of sin, the stain of sin. Week two, we looked at Abraham and how Abraham was given an unconditional covenant promise by the Lord. Anybody remember the three parts to the unconditional covenant promise? What was it? He said, I'm going to make you a nation, I'm going to give you a land, and you will be a blessing. Nation, land, blessing. Remember that. If you're hearing it for the first time, write it down. Abraham's unconditional covenant promise from the Lord I'll make you a nation, I'll give you a land, and you'll be a blessing to all peoples. Week three, we looked at Joseph and how Joseph always chose integrity in any and every situation. Sometimes things were great, he chose integrity. Sometimes life was tough. And by I mean life is tough, you get beat up by your brothers and sold into slavery, he chooses integrity. You help people out that are in prison and they promise to remember you when they get out and they forget you, he chose integrity. He always chose integrity. Week four began three straight weeks looking at Moses, the Moses narrative. Week four was the, the great deliverance, the supernatural deliverance that God provided for his people from Egypt. And we had the Passover, and we had the Red Sea crossing, supernatural deliverance. Week five, even though the story went 
a lot more in depth. We really focused mainly on the Ten Commandments. How many of you remember the Ten Commandments? Not hard to remember if you think of it like this. First four commandments deal with our vertical relationship with the Lord. What are we told? No other gods, no idols, don't misuse my name, remember the Sabbath. Four dealing with our vertical relationship with the Lord. The final six deal with our horizontal relationship with others. So what are they? Honor mom and dad, and then the do nots. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not covet. My prayer for you as we go through the story is that at some point, maybe today, maybe in a couple weeks, maybe next year sometime, you're going to be able to rattle off things like the Ten Commandments like that. So when you're drinking coffee with someone or your Thanksgiving supper or whatever it may be, you're able to say, yeah, I know those Ten Commandments. I've got them memorized. They're my heart. Last week, week six, kind of a depressing message. The Israelites wander for 40 years in the wilderness. Why did they wander in the wilderness? Because they didn't listen to the two good spies. Should I sing that song again? No, I'm not singing today, but we did have that account. And if you weren't here last week, you don't know what that's about. And you know, get the tape, get the CD. But 12 men did go to spy on Canaan and 10 were bad and two were good. And the 10 bad said, we can never, ever pull this off. We can't go in the promised land. Their cities have walls. Their soldiers are big. We could never pull that off. But the two, Caleb and Joshua, what did they say? They said, it's going to be tough. But we've got this secret weapon called the Lord our God, and we can do it, and we should do it. But the crowd went with the negative. The crowd went with the naysayers. And because of that, God said, okay, we'll play that game if you want to. And for 40 years, they wandered through the wilderness. And that brings us to today. 40 years later, they're right back where they began, Kadesh Barnea and they are ready to see the promised land. And the big hero this week, the person we're going to be studying, is Joshua, who was one of the two spies, Joshua, son of Nun, and, and the mantle of leadership will be passed to him. I want to read some context for you right now, and this is a paragraph that I have stolen, so uh, I get no credit for this, but here's where we're at. After 600 years from God's promise to Abraham, nation, land, blessing, to make him into a great nation, the children of Israel are ready to advance into the promised land. But there's a big problem. There are wicked people already living in the land, and among those people are some literal giants. The children of Israel are under a new leader, Joshua, and they are at Kadesh Barnea, where 40 years earlier they took a major wrong turn. Under Joshua, God tells the new generation to take the land. And so Joshua now has the mantle of leadership, but before he can lead, two huge challenges stand in the way. Challenge number one is this, he's got to follow a legend. If you were to study the 39 books that we know as the Old Testament and come up with who are the greatest of the great in the Old Testament, Moses makes any list that you would come up with. In fact, I think you could make the case that Moses might have been Israel's greatest leader. Now, a lot of people are going to say, what about David? What about Abraham? We can have that discussion. But Moses, he's in the discussion. He is the real deal. Listen to this eulogy of Moses' life from the end of the Pentateuch, Deuteronomy chapter 34. Let's put this up on the screen. It says, since then, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses whom the Lord knew face to face, who did all those miraculous signs and wonders the Lord sent him to do in Egypt, to Pharaoh and all his officials and to the whole land. For no one has ever shown the mighty power or performed the awesome deeds that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. How do you follow somebody like that? 
Is that like trying to replace John Wooden as a basketball coach at, at UCLA? Is that like trying to replace Vince Lombardi as football coach of the Green Bay Packers? I, I don't know. Is it like trying to replace a great prime minister or a great president, a, someone that just everyone rallied around that we don't have people like that anymore, that everybody rallies around because we beat up our politicians and, and we run commercials that make our heads want to explode. But at one time, I think there were great politicians that everybody rallied around. Can you imagine trying to follow such a person? Joshua's got to follow a legend. But here's the answer to following a legend. The Lord will provide. And it's right here in our text, verse 5 of Joshua chapter 1. The Lord said to Joshua, as I was with Moses, I will be with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. Wouldn't it be awesome to have a promise like that, that you could lean on or that I could lean on? Well, guess what? If you're a follower of Jesus, you have that promise. Remember what Jesus said? We, we love the Great Commission because it talks about going and, you know, Christian church people, we love the baptizing part and the teaching and the making the disciples. What's the last thing he says to them? Do you remember? Some of you have it memorized. Surely I'm with you some of the time to the very end of the age. That's not what he says. Surely I'm with you most of the time to the very end of the age. What's he say? Surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. God's, God's presence, God's protection. There's a second challenge, however, that Joshua's facing, not only following a legend, but also leading God's people into battle. I want to read for you Joshua chapter 1, verses 6 through 9, and if you have your own Bible or you're in the story to the beginning of, of chapter 7, I want to invite you, if you're comfortable, to underline, if you're comfortable. Somebody said one time, I, I'm reading the Pew Bible, should I underline the Pew Bible? I mean, I want to let you know I'd be good with it, but I think the right answer is probably not to underline the Pew Bible. But let's read together verses 6 through 9 of Joshua chapter 1. It says, be strong and courageous. Because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their forefathers to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn to it from the right or from the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Do not let this book of law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. So what's the answer? How do you prepare for battle? How do you get ready to lead God's people into battle? And the answer in the text is twofold. And I would just say, I think this is the most important part of the entire book of Joshua. We want to talk about the walls of Jericho. We want to talk about the miraculous crossing of the Jordan River during flood stage. We want to talk about the sun standing still. We want to talk about battle victories. If you miss this, you miss the book of Joshua. Two things. One, be strong and courageous. And two, obey the word of God. Be strong and courageous. Obey the word of God. Some of you, I say this with grace, you need this more than anything else I'm going to say today. You need to just hone on, I need to be a strong and courageous follower of Jesus Christ. Some of you, you know the Word, you've studied the Word, 
been in the Word a long time. You knew those Ten Commandments where I'm rattling them off. It's not really about knowing. It's about saying it's going to be truth for my life. I'm going to obey. I've got to make some changes. I've got to do some things differently. Let's talk about each of these. Be strong and courageous. Does that connect in America 2014? As Christians, do we really need to be strong and courageous? Well, I've got two illustrations from my world this week. One of them, some of you will get right away. If I say preachers in Houston, Texas, anyone know what I'm talking about? This week in Houston, Texas, the the mayor of Houston, who I will not say much about, subpoenaed sermons from preachers in her city in the United States of America, in the land of the free. Preachers receive subpoenas to turn in their sermons because she doesn't like what they're saying. She has a different worldview than they have. She has a different agenda than they have. And legally, she's saying, I want to look at what you Christians are hearing on Sunday mornings. Now, I'm sure that would never happen in the Midwest. I'm sure that would never happen in Clinton, Illinois. I'm sure that would never happen. Be strong and courageous. To be fair, the mayor's kind of walked it back and tried to clarify what she meant, and you can read a lot more about that if you want to, but in the United States of America, religious freedom we stand upon. Preachers' sermons were subpoenaed this week. Second thing, I was in seminary this week. I'm going to talk more about it during uh, the, the communion and offering meditations. And by seminary, I mean I went to a class and I audited it, which, man, what a great deal. You get to go to anything you want to, and you don't have to do any of the work. It, it is really a, a good deal. But while I was there, I met a man by the name of Dick. He is a judge in rural Kansas, 61 years old, godly man. Um, he is not going to run for retention in Kansas. And we started talking. I got to know him this week, and he said that really concerned with where the same-sex marriage thing's going in terms of his role as a judge. He said, i got to issue marriage licenses. And he said, I'm just struggling with it. And I just felt like, you know, the best thing for me is I'm 61. I've had a great life. Um, and I don't even want to have to go down that road. So I just won't run for retention, for re-election, basically. And he got a call Thursday morning during our seminary class saying that some judge somewhere had ruled that it needed to come to Kansas now, and he'll be sitting uh, with a group of judges two weeks from tomorrow deciding what is next. Be strong and courageous. If you think it's possible to live as a follower of Jesus Christ in our world today, and not be strong and courageous? You're kidding yourself. Does the book of Joshua have anything to do with living for Jesus today? Yeah. Yeah, it does. What about obeying the Word of God? How many times in our text, verses 6 through 9, do we see this encouragement to know the Word, to obey? Don't move to the left. Don't move to the right. Is that not a picture of Christians in America where we read the Word, but we just get so distracted by what's going on here and what we're hearing there. And he's saying, keep your eyes focused on truth. Keep your eyes focused on the Word of God. 
I heard a story of a man, true story from Kansas City, who became a follower of Jesus and quickly fell in love with God's Word and set out a goal for his life. He wanted to read through the Bible. And some of you, you've had that goal and you've met that goal and you've said, it changed my life. When we read through the Bible in 90 days, Greg, man, it changed my world. It was awesome. He had a goal like that. And he went to work at the factory in Kansas City, Kansas one day, and there was a huge explosion And he should have died, he didn't die, but he lost both arms and a lot of the sensitivity in his face. So now you want to read God's Word, and you don't have hands and arms, and and it's really difficult for you to even have any kind of sensation in your face. How are you going to pull that off? Well, he was reading one day about a woman in England who had a a similar situation, not the explosion, but she didn't have use of her arms, and so she taught herself to read Braille with her lips. So he thought, I can do this. I can read the Bible through Braille with my lips, and he got the Braille Bible, and he put put his lips up on the Bible, and he couldn't feel anything. The nerve endings were shot. And he just started to cry, just started to weep. And at some point in this encounter, he stuck his tongue out, and his tongue touched the page, and he could feel. He could tell the difference between one bump and another bump. And I don't know Braille, uh, maybe you don't know Braille, but the reality was before long, he learned to read with his tongue. And so he would grab, he wouldn't grab, he didn't have any arms, somehow, somehow, don't you love when that happens? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, politically correct. Anyway, he starts um, with his tongue reading the Bible. He's read through the Bible four times with only his tongue. That, that's loving God's Word. And my guess is that's a man who doesn't just know it. He puts it into practice. Do you know the name Voltaire? Voltaire once bragged that within a hundred years of his death, Christianity would be extinct. A hundred years after his death, his estate became a Bible society headquarters. There's power in God's Word. And so, that's what I want you to grab this morning. Now, I'm not done with the sermon. I've got more that I'm going to give you, but I really want you to lock in with, we got to be strong and courageous. We have to obey the Word of God. Second, book of Joshua shows the power of God unfolding in action-packed narrative. How many of you like a good action movie? We do, for the most part, right? We like action. Well, the book of Joshua has action. You have very unlikely heroes. How about Rahab the prostitute? That's a pretty unlikely hero. You have painful war narratives. I mean, all over the place you see war. I mean, there's blood being spilt, there's destruction, there's devastation. You have powerful, powerful miracles. I'm going to highlight three miracles that we're going to put up on the screen, I hope. Three miracles here. Uh, the crossing of the Jordan River on Joshua in Joshua 3 and 4, the walls of Jericho fall in Joshua 5 and 6, and the sun stands still in Joshua chapter 10. Wonderful miracles. I'm not going to talk about the miracles in depth today. We're going to look at one in just a moment. But here's what I want to just encourage you not to fall in the trap of doing. The sun could never stand still. That's not possible. The water could never dam up. That's not possible. Trumpets and shouting could never bring down the walls. 
See, we read these accounts, and if we're not careful, we say in my modern mind or in my postmodern world, that doesn't jive. That doesn't seem possible. Can you allow yourself, even if it doesn't logically line up, to say, maybe God's just an awesome God? Maybe God's just a lot more powerful than the world would say that He is. Maybe God can do anything He wants to to fulfill and achieve His purpose. And when you think of it like that, man, the sun's standing still. That, that's a piece of cake. Walls falling down. Why not? It's God. I get a little bit out of shape at people that put God in, in just a small little box. He never could. It's not possible. Just allow yourself. You don't even have to go all the way this morning. Just allow yourself to think, could it be possible? Is our God a great God? And then the, the, the final thing that you see is successful conquest. And, and again, a lot of the book of Joshua is the southern campaign, taking out those five kings that had formed this alliance, and the northern campaign where 14 different cities are, are attacked and God's people most of the time win. And, and the point of all of it is that God's people will now have their promised land. I want to give you two snapshots this morning from the book of Joshua. And if you're a parent or a grandparent and you have kids, I want to encourage you to read both of these narratives with your kids, um, if they're age appropriate, the, the Aiken story. You know, if you've got a four-year-old, they'll be having nightmares for a week if you go into depth too much. But just share these with you because we're not really going to go in depth much this morning. The Battle of Jericho, what's the deal? Jericho was an impressive city. Uh, according to our text, it says here that Jericho was tightly shut up because of the Israelites. No one went in, no one came out. Then the Lord said to Joshua, see I've delivered Jericho into your hands along with its king and fighting men. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing their trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have all the people give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse and the people will go up every man straight in. If you were to go and talk to a history teacher, I don't know, do we have a history teacher? We probably have somebody that is a history teacher or loves history. And we were to say, give us some of the great speeches or great plans about battles throughout all time. They might say, well, you know, you really got to consider what Patton had to say. What Patton had to say before D-Day. He was inspiring. And uh, those of you that are doing the video series, Frazee talks a little bit about this this week. And he says, we're not going to stand our ground. We're marching ahead. It almost makes you want to grab a weapon and grab a helmet and head to France. I mean, it's inspiring. You, you listen to Abraham Lincoln, and I know we've got some people that have really studied Lincoln in depth and some of the ways that Lincoln would inspire troops, even during the dark days of the Civil War, and remind them that there is light at the end of the tunnel. I mean, those are great battle plans. What do we have here in the book of Joshua? Grab some trumpets, march around the city. Does that sound more like marching band than a war to you? On the seventh day, march around seven times, blow your trumpets, shout, and the walls will come falling down. What? That, that's the plan? That's the plan? Trumpets and shouting and marching? What are you talking about? You know what he's talking about? 
He's talking about that's the plan. See, here's the takeaway. God's plan's always the right plan. It's always the correct plan, even if it seems otherwise. Friends, I hope that connects with you today. I hope that's a takeaway for you today. That God's plan is always the correct plan, even when it seems like we're taking trumpets and and shouting phrases instead of AK-47s or spears or swords. See, God did it on purpose. He wanted it to be so crazy, so unconventional, so off the map that people would have to say, it must be the Lord. It must be the Lord. We're going to study David and Goliath in a couple weeks. And most people, I think, miss the point of David and Goliath It's not get your slingshot and go out and start practicing shooting stones. That's not the point of David and Goliath. The point is the battle belongs to who? The Lord. The battle belongs to the Lord. And when God's people in the book of Joshua stick with the Lord's plan, don't ask a lot of questions, don't have a lot of concern. Yeah, God, okay, we're on, we're good, we'll do it. They are victorious because God is with them. Because God's doing the heavy lifting. Are you letting God do the heavy lifting in your life? Is God doing the heavy lifting? Or are you sweating every detail? Are you struggling at every situation? Freedom in the faith. Second picture I want you to see is not quite as happy. And it's right on the heels of the great victory at Jericho. But it's the story of Achan. Um, Joshua chapter 7 verse 1 basically says the Israelites acted unfaithfully in regard to devoted things. Then we meet a guy by the name of Achan and we we learn his lineage. We're not going to worry about that. But he took some of the devoted things. What were the devoted things? I have no idea. But if they were at the Chestnut Antique Mall, they'd probably be worth a lot of money, is my guess. They they had value. And so he said, I'm going to take some of them, and I'm going to hide some of them, and I'm going to have money because of them at some point in my life. But look at the last phrase there. The Lord's anger burned against Israel. Not following God's plan, Achan's following Achan's plan. Have you ever been there where you're not following God's plan, you're following your plan, and you can't figure out why things aren't unfolding like you want them to? Look at what happened just previously at the end of the great battle of Jericho. There there was this commandment that came down from God for his people. In verse 18 of chapter 6, it said, Keep away from the devoted things so that you will not bring about your own destruction by taking any of them. Otherwise, you'll make the camp of Israel liable to destruction and bring trouble on it. The consequences of sin are enormous. And some of you, you could share a testimony. You could say, yeah, I got off track. I took my eyes off the Lord. I took my eyes off Jesus. I was doing my own thing. And man, painful, terrible, tragic, hurtful. The rest of the story is kind of good. God's people repent. They say, you know, we're really sorry. They went into battle following this and had a terrible defeat. Joshua's like, God, what's going on? God said, you got to clean up your camp. They cleaned up the camp. Um, Bad news for Achan and his family. 
Achan brought several people that he loved down with him. That happens with the consequences of sin many times, sadly. But God's people were able to get back on track, went back to battle, and they were able to finally take the city of Ai. A big question with the book of Joshua is the question, why? Why so much destruction, so much devastation? Why so much death? Why is it that when they go in, how many people were they supposed to kill when they went in? Do you remember? All of them, men, women, and children, and animals, and you're not plundering anything, just burn it all. You, you are devastating the community. And in our Western mind, we look at that, and what do we say? Well, that's not very nice. Would flannel graph Jesus approve of that plan? I mean, we, we struggle with that. You remember flannel graph Jesus, don't you? You know, everything's great till, till the air conditioner kicks on. And yeah, I, It's part of God's, some of you will get that later. Um, it's part of God's plan. And when they follow God's plan, they are winning, they are successful. And when they don't, pain and suffering, tough, tough times. Why wipe out everybody? Two reasons. Number one, because of the wickedness of the inhabitants in the land. And that goes all the way back to the Abraham narrative. Write down Genesis 15, 16 if you want to, to go back and see how wicked the people of this land really were. 